0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from ACAST. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that digs deeper and then crawls into the hole that it dug and then hides there until the coronavirus has gone and it's definitely safe to come out. I'm and Duyeb and Downing Street has insisted that despite the spread of COVID-19, social distancing measures will not be introduced, as the last three years of Brexit was successful at doing that enough. The UK remains in containment phase, which could potentially be a catch-all term for the nation post-leaving the EU. But it just means that despite cases of coronavirus reaching over 300 in the UK alone, and bloody loads elsewhere, that's the official figure, the government have accepted that the illness is going to spread in a significant way, and they wouldn't want to get in that way, as this government's all about meritocracy, and that virus is working damn hard to get where it's going. So, no events will be cancelled just yet, and the Culture Secretary and man who in every picture looks like they've photoshopped away the rake he's just stepped on, Oliver Dowden, insisted that he was at the rugby at Twickenham with the Prime Minister over the weekend, and it seemed perfectly safe. Because, as you know, Dowden has a special bionic germ sensor where he can scan mass crowds for biological hazards, though chances are that by sitting right next to Boris Johnson, he was unable to see any others. This has been the government's response so far. Lots of statements that largely suggest they haven't got a fucking clue what they're talking about, so it's nice to know they're handling this crisis much like any other. Only last week, Johnson insisted that he'd keep shaking hands despite warnings, and that he was at a hospital where there were COVID-19 patients and he shook everyone's hands. This is blatantly not true, as the hospital he was at was not one where any reported coronavirus patients were, and they would know, as that's what the government's containment phase requires. Unless Johnson was the one coronavirus patient, and he's been responsible for spreading it around all along with his careless fucking handshaking. He is very good at spreading things, whether it's lies or his own DNA, so I wouldn't put it past him. Downing Street have insisted the Prime Minister's being guided by the best scientific advice, though judging by him still shaking everyone's hands, you wonder if it's advice about the virus, or if he's just been googling how he's managed to impregnate yet another woman. The latter could explain why his most recent comments about the virus were that one of the theories is that you could take it on the chin or let it spread through the population. I'm honestly not sure if anyone should be shaking his hands whether there's a virus about or not. The one person he would hope would have a vague semblance of how to manage all of this would be the health secretary and man, who I'm certain still has his name written on tags in his underwear, otherwise he'll try and put on a dishcloth or pretzel or something, Matt Hancock. But of course he hasn't, because no one has yet developed a coronavirus app, so instead Hancock pretended that the government has been working with supermarkets to ensure that they don't run out of supplies. But a supermarket exec got in touch with the BBC to say that Hancock was bullshitting, which isn't surprising, as that would be the first time anyone in the government was concerned about people having enough food. Or was Hancock's notion that by Brexit negotiations hitting all farming, fishing and export produce, the supermarkets won't have any supplies to run out of, therefore rendering the problem solved? The Department of Food and Agriculture has since contacted the industry, which is just in time, as British people have been panic buying toilet roll, despite the coronavirus not actually causing any sort of bowel issues. But while they've been stock boiling loo roll, they haven't been stockpiling food in the same manner, which is just so us, isn't it? It's just so British. Wasting money on something we believe we need because we haven't bothered to research how something actually works and ultimately harming ourselves as a result. Coronavirus cases worldwide are now over 111,000, with nearly 4,000 deaths, five of which have been in the UK. After the first patient died, the Prime Minister said his sympathies were with the victim and their family, although he could have also been talking about the most recent people to get a job working with the Home Secretary. On the positive side, over 62,000 people worldwide have recovered from COVID-19, all OK, and are now presumably immune and can go shake hands with whoever they like. Or, perhaps if they've got scores to settle, people, they don't like with underlying health conditions. After China, Italy has been the most affected country, having to shut schools and quarantine areas, while parts of Saudi Arabia and Iran have done the same. Maybe now the toilet roll stockpiling does make sense, as while the virus itself doesn't cause that sort of effect, most places are absolutely shitting themselves out of fear. All of this has had a massive effect on the stock markets, causing them to fall in their worst day since the 2008 financial crash. Of course they would. You're meant to self-isolate, not have shares of things. Part of the drop is also due to a fall in oil prices, because no one is using any as they aren't going anywhere. So actually, by him going around shaking everyone's hands, maybe that's proof the Prime Minister does care about tackling climate change after all. These falls in shares caused a temporary suspension of US trading, which must have come as a shock to President and microwave punchbag Donald Trump, who claimed on Friday that he'd stopped the virus. While it's possible that he's so toxic that by contracting it, the virus simply gave up and died, Trump's main tactic seems to be to just ignore it and hope everyone forgets the coronavirus exists, openly saying that he wanted people on the infected cruise ship, the Grand Princess, to stay on board, as otherwise they'd just add to the US numbers. No, you idiot, that's not what it means to keep the virus Bay. Meanwhile, the Democrats have had their Super Tuesday primary, so-called because like a lot of superhero films, it has basically the same plot line as the one before it. 14 states' worth of delegates chose their preference for the presidential election candidate and rubber latex mask of an old man being worn by an old man, Joe Biden, came out on top with 10 states backing him because it seems their main tactic of dealing with the coronavirus is to attack the possibility of universal healthcare. Biden won most of the places he was expected to, but it's hailed as having a comeback after a rather dodgy start to the contest. It must be nice doing exactly what the very least expected of you is and being praised for it, but then that is also the entire premise of his campaign. Biden's slogan is, our best days still lie ahead, which sounds like regardless of what happens in the election, he's promising a ton of untruths, will be told. Biden is now in first place, while eccentric scientist stock photo Bernie Sanders won four states, including his home state of Virginia and one of the most populous ones, California, taking him into second place, which would suit him as that still means he can criticise the 1%. Millionaire and slowly deflating plum husk Michael Bloomberg got American Samoa before then dropping out of the race, meaning that he must have had something against the Samoans in order to spend more than $500 million just to deny them any sort of say in the presidential election. I would say it's further proof that he's racist, but after dropping out he spent several million tackling black voter suppression. Though I guess there is every chance it's just that he can get even more details on file of people he thinks the police should stop and frisk. Rejected member of Alvin and the Chipmunks Elizabeth Warren also dropped out of the race after winning none of the delegates at all. She'd previously run on the message of being the unity candidate, but it appears the only thing she united was people to vote for everyone but her. So now it's just two men in the race because that's how America thinks. Oh well, we let a woman have a go once and that didn't work, so best not try it again. Biden has gained the most endorsements since Super Tuesday, both from former candidates and other politicians. But while it's looking like he's in the lead right now, things could change over the next four months. Particularly if Trump's lack of coronavirus protection means America ends up more like a Mad Max dystopia and the next president will just be whoever is still alive and has access to water. Back in the UK, it is budget week as the Chancellor Rishi, always grinning like he's been allowed outside for the first time Sunak, will present whatever he's managed to mangle together since the last Chancellor and insomniac onion Sajid Javid resigned. All we know so far is that the Treasury's Instagram page keeps showing pictures of Sunak posing like he's in a Littlewoods catalogue, advertising some sort of guide to pretending to have a personality. By the time you hear this, you'll likely already know what was in the budget, but at this point we're expecting some sort of extra money to deal with the unauthorised outbreak sequel that we're currently experiencing. Sunak says he thinks the economy is in a strong position to cope with all coronavirus issues, but he said it all with the sincerity of someone who's aware that rich people won't die and he couldn't give a shit about anyone else. There will allegedly be more money for flood-hit areas, with the current amount set to double, which means it'll only be five times less than is needed, which is nice. But then maybe all of this is intentional, as with airline Flybe going into administration last week, the government will be struggling to fulfil its promise to improve regional connections. Failing to bail out an airline it knew was struggling despite the massive loss of jobs and people's pensions might mean that the government's only option is to allow places to flood and set up a series of fast-flowing canals to all major cities and towns. Or perhaps all of this will be announced as cost saving as EU negotiations are looking like the UK will be pulling out of the EU Aviation Safety Regulator for no other reason other than to make a really lousy point. That point being, well we have no aircraft now so we don't need to safety check them and no one's allowed in anyway and we'll just build massive walls around the coast, call ourselves Mega City One and everyone will survive on things that drop dead out of the sky. Which to be fair, could be any of our aircraft if we don't put in place replacement safety regulations. In the budget, fuel duty is likely to stay frozen, even though no one's using any of it anymore as they're all indoors with the coronavirus and there's now 210 less flights that need it. Chances are, with only four weeks to do it in and Sunak seeming like the sort of person who needs allocated extra time just to send a text, that this won't be a budget of major changes, with the autumn one perhaps having more of what was promised in the Conservative Manifesto. What they have promised, though, that should be in there, is that there'll be no increases in income tax, national insurance or VAT, so it'll be nice to see where all the promised increased spending money is going to come from. Perhaps we've got a new line of chemical weapons to send to other countries whereby we just drop Johnson in and he shakes everyone's hands till they keel over. In other happen times, the Labour Party, completely unable to do anything at all about anything because that's how elections work, have taken to just fighting themselves out of boredom again. To be fair, most people have forgotten about the leadership election, what with it taking up most of our lives, and so how better to spice it up than Candidate and Lisa definitely ran the school newspaper Nandi, speaking out against current leader and exhausted sea urchin Jeremy Corbyn for waging a factional war within the party. Nice to know they're no longer criticising him for being a pacifist, though. Nandi, the candidate currently calling for party unity and vowing she would work for either of the other two contenders, has said that in contrast to Corbyn, she is a non-factional politician, something that she held up by joining a mass walkout from the cabinet in 2016, followed by running, breathing doorstop Owen Smith's leadership challenge against Corbyn. Nandi said the big issue was that infighting showed the public the party were interested in themselves rather than the people, so it's really great that she's actively trying to change that. Where's my sarcasm font? Over in the Lib Dems, yes, remember them, Oxford West and Abingdon MP and Where's Wilma, Leila Moran, has joined their leadership crawl, saying that her party faced an existential challenge, probably on account of the last election, meaning they barely physically exist anymore. She will face Bath MP and woman whose name makes her sound like a shop for gas oven tops, Weira Hobhouse, who is standing on the basis that the party need a new direction, something that should be easy considering they haven't gone anywhere since 2015. In positive news, after seven years of mostly ineffective badger culls, they are being phased out in Britain to be replaced with TB vaccines for cattle as well as vaccines for badgers. Hopefully this isn't the blueprint or timescale the government are planning for COVID-19. And lastly, former Home Secretary and Murder Squad detective from any early 90s ITV show, Amber Rudd, was no platformed by Oxford Union, being pulled 30 minutes before a talk she was meant to give due to her role in the Windrush scandal. Rudd said that students should stop hiding and start engaging, although that was the sort of language she used to try and catch out illegal immigrants under the hostile environment policy. Personally, I think it's perfect treatment to tell Amber Rudd, without any appropriate warning for her to organise any backup, that she wasn't welcome to something she assumed she was part of. Yeah, Popol Broads, how does you? Um, I'm currently self-isolating. I mean, I have to while I record this, otherwise my daughter will just drown me out by clanging spoons together and insisting it's music. So not really self-isolating, just sort of hiding upstairs. Um, I did a job last week where I was sent a list saying have you experienced any of these symptoms and they included tiredness, achy limbs and being short of breath and it was like well yes, all of those for the last two years since my daughter was born. Although to be fair the shortness of breath is mainly just due to poor health and an insistence on going upstairs too quickly because that way you get the horror over and done with and I can just keel over at the top which almost feels like an achievement, you know. Um, I've been outside today and I did have to buy toilet rolls too, you know, for necessity though I am concerned that once word gets out that we've got a whole nine of them in our flat that I have to board up our place like the purge is coming as tons of angry poo leaders try to fight their way in. There's something so very bleak, isn't there, and yet so perfect about the possibility that the UK will only finally revolt uh, because no one is willing to wipe their bums on anything else. I suppose that's revolt in all senses of the word, isn't it, really? I'm not saying, you know, that uh, I would be happy to wipe my bum on anything else. I'm very much a toilet paper fan, and the thought of having to stack, I don't know, bits of carpet or bread or old shoes or something up by the loo isn't particularly Particularly fun. Um, of course, though, so my main concern about all this coronavirus thing is that being self employed and not really being able to work from home means I could be seeing a very jobless few weeks with lots of stuff cancelled and lots of money disappearing, uh, which sounds fun. Any ideas, gigs over Skype, anyone? Maybe I can send you jokes by Carrier Pigeon. Carrier Pigeons probably would carry the coronavirus, when they? I mean, who knows? Who knows how it works. Um, how about if I pretend that it's very necessary to stockpile buying me coffees at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolebro. Will you all rush to get me one in case they all run out? Yeah, it's worth worth a try isn't it worth a try um, I should also say that I'm aware that some of you do use this podcast as an actual news source which I am so chuffed about but please do also use the actual news as there's several stories I haven't covered this week such as the refugee crisis in Turkey and Greece right now that is too bleak to find any humour in um, but also because I'm pretty sure my coronavirus info last week was a little bit irresponsible as I didn't mention quite how easily it spreads um, I sort of just said that we'd probably be alright with the NHS but I didn't really mention it spreads very quickly um, as you probably were out via what's happening or if you have it because you can't stop high-fiving people um and that's the key to why it's rather rampant and dangerous because it can then really affect people uh, who do have underlying health conditions which is the term the news keeps saying. Um, so, yeah, do make sure that you supplement this show uh, with some actual news and, of course, vitamin D because that's important and you don't get enough of it, especially if you're hiding in a bunker till all the diseases stop and maybe just don't uh, trust me for all possible medical knowledge or the vitamin D thing. Is really, It's really important. Um, thank you to Daryl for the very lovely review on the Apple Podcasts. I mean it's really important I started taking it like a couple of years ago during the winter and that way I now know that I've um, only got seasonal affective depression because it's a shit time of year uh, and not because I'm indeed deficient it's worth it worth it just for that comfort isn't it um, thank you to Daryl for a very lovely review on the Apple Podcasts please keep those coming as well um, I mean I like it I demand praise but also uh, as I've bothered on about before the more reviews uh, that those pod sites get the more they might actually think that it's worth plugging the show or putting us in a main bits that other people can find it. I mean it isn't worth it but they might think it is. So that's worth it. Also, as well as stockpiling coffee for me, very important. KO-FI.com forward slash Parpoil Bro. Stockpile quickly. Panic buy it. Hurry up. Um, do also join the Patreon.com forward slash Parpoil Bro. And OVS. tell people all about what this malarkey is too. Um, I did try to get my agent to record a plug again this week because she's been so effective in previous weeks. that uh, she was too busy talking to Spider-Man, who's now apparently residing in our toilet. Uh, that's what she says. She keeps going to our toilet. Spider-Man's in there, apparently. Um, um, and I have to say as a lifelong fan of Spider-Man this is still the fucking creepiest thing that I've ever heard uh, on the plus side I'm probably using up less loo roll as a result of being too frightened of the bathroom in case a grown man in a mask is just sitting there it's horrible why would she say these things um, I'm back supporting Frankie Boyle at the Soho Theatre this week and next except for Thursday um, so if you come along to that uh, and see me after then do say hello and I'll do the awkward hello back where I will have used too many words on stage and be incapable of talking properly it'll be totally worth your while. Um, also if you're in Chorley or near there or have heard about it in a book, uh, then myself and Tutton from Simple Politics have our How Does This Politics Thing Work Then show at the Little Theatre on Saturday at 2.30pm. Um, I promise we will both have washed our hands. Um, on this week's show, with the budget happening on Wednesday and everyone full of the Covid's, I thought it best to focus on some other stuff this week that won't already be redundant by the time you hear it. So, thanks to all 15 of you that bothered voting online, there is a brief look at the US elections so far because they all go on forever. They go on for centuries. Um, But first, there is a chat with political podcaster Steve Byrne all about just what on earth is happening in Ireland. It's been a month since Ireland's general election and they are still without a government. If you, like me, are currently living under the hellstorm that is Boris Johnson's leadership, it's possible that the idea of no government may seem immediately more appealing than whatever it is that we have now. But in Ireland, changes have a come, and the absence of a Taoiseach or cabinet comes after the political power structures are the only thing currently really having the crack. Sinn Féin are the new big dogs, having previously only been in third place thanks to a history of exploding things, but their new leader and raft of left-wing policies has given them a shiny new face that isn't all covered up by knitwear. In contrast, the two parties that have always shared power for nearly a century no longer have enough votes to lead by themselves, as the promise of keeping things as shit as they are wasn't as popular with the Irish public as they thought it would be. With a three-way tie, like you might find at a professional Boy Scout contest, whatever the government ends up being, it won't really be what anyone wants. Do the and Fine and Finnegale Gael parties join together to persuade voters that two wrongs make a very centre right? Or does one of them suck it up and join with Sinn Féin so they can all shout at each other for five years and potentially get nothing done at all? Or will coronavirus force a government of national coalition of whoever's still alive after it hits? And what does any of this mean for the future of Ireland, or selfishly for us here in Blighty? Could it lead to a call of unity with Northern Ireland, or perhaps just a different bunch of people to tell Britain to fuck off during Brexit negotiations? This week, with the US working out which old white man they want in charge and Britain announcing how little money they'll have to spend when the coronavirus wipes out half the population, I thought it would be a good time to hop across the small pond and find out just what is happening after Ireland's historic election. I spoke to former pod guest Steve Byrne, host of the excellent Irish politics podcast What Am Politics, and he kindly explained if Ireland will ever have a government, if Sinn Féin being in power still means all their live speeches will have to be dubbed over by someone like Killian Murphy, and just how badly I've managed to pronounce all of the Irish words. Spoiler, I did all of them really, really badly. I'm so rubbish and ignorant. It's always great chatting with Steve, as he's so clued up and able to explain things oh so clearly. Um, So I do hope you enjoy. Here is Steve. So uh, since the election, you still haven't got a government in Ireland. Are you going to have one anytime soon?
1: Probably not anytime soon, no. Um, it's kind of common for Irish elections not to produce immediate, election, uh, immediate governments. So we have the, um, the tricky old um, PRSTV voting system where you get to vote one to whatever number you want on your ballot paper, depending on what preference of candidates you have. So that tends to mean that you have lots of parties broken up And since, I think, the 80s, we've never had a majority government. It's always been coalitions. Really? Yeah. So um, it used to be always just either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. And, I mean, at the end of this election, everyone was pretty much assuming it was going to be either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael becoming Taoiseach and the major party and having to rotate somebody in. It even came to the point where on my own podcast, um, at the end of the the wrap-up episode before the election, uh, Richie, my co-host, was like, oh, maybe this time could be different. And I was like, no, it won't. And he's like, but maybe it will. I was like, it won't. And it ended up like a 30-second screaming match back and forward. Turns out, like all things um, political punditry, I was completely wrong. And this is the one election that actually produced a different result. So Sinn Féin, who are a center-left kind of populist party, they um, have been creeping up slowly in the polls over the last couple of years. Um, but they tend to never do as well in elections as they do in opinion polls before elections. So everyone was kind of assuming, oh, this is just going to be another result. They're going to come in with a few more seats, but not that many. Turns out all the punditry was completely wrong. Sinn Féin came in as the second largest party in the Dáil, but also ended up with the most actual votes. and um, Just because of different seat calculations, they didn't get as many. So they are now the second largest party in the Dáil, bigger than Fine Gael, who were the government party and are just one seat behind Fianna Fáil, who everyone had assumed were going to be the next um, government party. So all these results kind of threw everyone for a loop. No one really knows what adds up to a majority in the Dáil to get a government, and so everyone just kind of has to do like a Mexican standoff kind of thing outside our parliament, trying to figure out who's going to go into coalition with who.
0: And Am I right in thinking that that Sinn Féin might have done better if they put more seats forward? Because they didn't actually put that many candidates forward, did they?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So we have a quota system, I think the same over in the UK, like whenever you get a certain amount of votes, that's when you're deemed elected. Um, So whenever loads of different seats came in, you had some Sinn Féin uh, TDs getting like twice as many votes as they needed to get a seat. So if they had ran a second candidate in those constituencies, they definitely would have ended up with extra seats. They could have ended up with maybe seven or eight more seats, which would have made them by far the largest party. Um, But of course... People are saying, oh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. How are you supposed to know that? And back at the start of the election campaign, they actually had trouble with a couple of um, pretty mad, not that professional and stupid candidates saying crazy things. Like there was a, he wasn't actually a, a candidate for this election, but he's a councillor, a guy who's also an MMA fighter called Paddy O'Houlihan. He said crazy things about Leo Varadkar, or Taoiseach, not being Irish enough and also um hinted that because he's not a family man which of course is dog whistle for being gay that he wasn't a, a good leader and then he also said terrible things about women only um, bringing up sexual um, harassment cases against MMA fighters to get money and fame. So these are the kind of people that some of the Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin could have put forward if they had ran more people. I think what they did instead was try and pick their best um, field to put forward and so if they had decided to try and add more seats they might have ended up not getting that momentum during the campaign and would have had to spend much more time trying to defend the people they had picked.
0: Yeah, I mean, that really smells of a kind of, when when they're not prepared for victory, that those are the people on the back burner. <laughs> sort of yeah. MMA fighter. That's the, uh, Jesus Christ. That's, uh, I, I just can't see that as a, a thing that would happen outside well, of like- the US. That's quite incredible.
1: Even in, even the candidates that did put forward, so there was a lady, I can't remember her name, but she's now a TD for a constituency called uh, Kildare South, kind of just outside Dublin. She took a five-day holiday during the election, like a week before voting, because her kids had had bought it for her um, for Christmas and she didn't want to, to, it was like a use it or lose it kind of situation. And... When she was when she was going, she's like, well, feck it, I'll just go because there's not there's not like we're not going to I'm not I don't have much of a chance of getting in. Then it turns out she got elected, even though she took a holiday a week before the election. (laughs) So it just goes to nobody really called us. Sinn Féin didn't know it was going to happen either.
0: I mean, to be fair, that sounds like the best way to sort of handle an election. Just go away five days, come back and win. I mean, that's a power move if I ever heard one.
1: You hear about all these politicians like working 18 hours a day, like running around constituencies, knocking on doors. It turns out all you have to do is go to the Canaries, send a few emails in the morning and come back and get elected. Sounds perfect. That is
0: amazing. That's the the dream life. Absolutely. Um, so tell me about so Sinn Féin, obviously, the, the, in the UK, we know of them through years of terrorism or <laughs> well, through the IRA connections. Um, yeah, I think have got some connections. Yeah, I think we've got some connections. And I mean, when we've had, since the you know the, the election in Ireland, there have been... Horrific articles in things like the Daily Mail, obviously going Ireland of elected terrorists and just going completely nuts. Um, but only a few of them, yeah. <laughs> so what? What? Why is Sinn Fein now so popular? Why do they? Because they resonated with mainly younger voters.
1: Yeah, basically people under the age of about 45, I think, overwhelmingly went with Sinn Féin, whereas you can see in the exit poll results that um, older voters still are quite nervous and afraid of them and aren't that willing to give them votes. And there's also a huge like uh, class divide and education divide demographic. People that don't have university degrees were less inclined to vote with them, and people that live in poorer areas were more inclined to vote for them, as they were before, but then they just came out more in force this time. Um, I guess like, Sinn Féin are they're the only party on the island of Ireland that have representatives both in the Northern Irish government and the Southern Irish um, Parliament as well. And they also elect MPs to go over to Westminster, but part of their policy is abstentionism, so they don't actually go. So I think there's about six empty seats in Westminster because Sinn Féin TDs occupy them and they don't go. And I mean, they are the party that's came out of the like the the provisional IRA and the different the, the Republican violent groups that were in Northern Ireland during the Troubles and they were the party that negotiated the Good Friday Agreement and also then are basically representing what is the I guess you could say the um the less the less divisive and more mainstream form of republicanism in the north. But of course that is still very close to all the violence that happened. I mean, the peace process only started in ninety eight and there were still bombs and killings afterwards. Like there was a journalist killed in Derry last year, um Lyra McKee who was shot by different radicals. And I mean, I don't want to tie those those kind of dissidents in with Sinn Féin because they're not. These guys are anti sinn Féin as well. They don't like what Sinn Féin are doing by trying to make the peace process political. They think that there still should be a campaign of violence. But when you have people like Desi Ellis, who is a Dublin TD, who was in prison for making bombs for the IRA, you can see that there isn't that many steps away from what Sinn Féin was to what they are now. And some people are still not that comfortable with them. So that's why you have... Pretty easy articles by people like the Daily Mail accusing them of being terrorists and all that. It's because they aren't that far away from it. But that's not what people voted for. People didn't even vote for Sinn Féin on the basis of Northern Irish politics or the idea of partition with the North or as a, or to give a middle finger to the UK. People voted for them because they were the largest and most viable party advocating for a change in Irish politics, like um, for a change in economic circumstances, to to try and help issues like housing and the healthcare system and all those kind of normal day to day things that aren't going well for people in Ireland. That's what they
0: that's what they wanted
1: Sinn Féin to come in and try and fix.
0: So um uh, from my limited knowledge please you I, I, you will correct me I know um Fianna uh, Fail they were they were sort of responsible Fianna for Fianna, Fianna, Fianna Fail oh my goodness I'm so sorry uh, Fianna, <laughs> Fianna Fail <laughs> <laughs> they so they they sort of killed the Celtic tiger uh, and then Fine Gael have been responsible for lots of issues with homelessness and and uh, and poverty and unemployment since that so they sort of took over from, uh, Fianna Finif- yeah. uh, <laughs> and then have made things worse. So, Sinn Féin are the, as you say, the only possible party that isn't like those two.
1: Yeah, they, they are the, they were always the third largest party in the Dáil, um, well not always, but they have been since, um, since the Labour Party kind of slipped down. Um, and yeah, people just seen And they have, a, they have a new nifty leader Who took over from Jerry Adams Who I think was in charge of Sinn Féin Since like the 1800s or something He seemed like he was around for so long But he <laughs> finally retired And uh, a new lady called Mary Lou MacDonald Who is a very, very well spoken Articulate and a very good politician In fairness to her um, she came in she, she did very well in the debates she even managed to get invited to like the potential shock debates where it was her uh, Michal Martin the leader of Fianna Fall, and Leo Vragger, the shock and leader of Fine Gael were all debating each other um, so, yeah, I mean, it is, it's Fianna Fáil were in charge during the crash. They were also the party that gave Ireland the boom, but yeah, also ended up mismanaging it so terribly that we had the greatest recession in our history. And then Fine Gael were elected kind of as like a big, as like, oh, well, it's 2011. We're sick of what Fianna Fáil have done. Let's flip it around and just do what we always do and let Fine Gael in, in to let's see what they do. But of course, just before they came in, there was already a deal done with the troika the eu the imf and i think it was the central bank as the third group which meant that ireland was incredibly restricted and had to implement really really hard um, austerity measures so they didn't really they had well i mean finnegal probably were inclined to be in an, um, an austerity party anyway because they would be center right they'd be more pro-business less state kind of ways probably not as hard as your conservative party but certainly a shade of that and they yeah things have been it's weird so ireland technically has what you would call a booming economy but at the same time if you are a person who can't find anywhere to live or has to pay 1600 euros for a really shitty place to live in dublin you are not feeling any benefit from this apparent booming economy and like you say there's massive problems with homelessness and housing people i think there's about 45,000 people on housing lists in Ireland waiting for somewhere to live and I mean there's families living in hotel rooms there's there's people on the streets not having um, any access to services and just actually at the start of this election campaign there was a terrible incident where a man was sleeping in a tent and a council worker came in with some sort of um, digger machine to to like forcibly remove like a, a homeless tent site and basically just kind of yelled at the tent to make sure there was no one in there and then started moving the machinery and seriously injured its man to the point that he's going to have life-changing industries and that happened injuries that happened right at the start of the campaign so it certainly didn't look good on the parties that were in power i mean there's no easy solution to this and um, the housing crisis in ireland is incredibly complex and i'm not really i mean we could say yes let's build a hundred thousand houses immediately now but then Sinn Féin are kind of doing the semi-populist thing of saying, let's just try and do it without actually explaining what plan they're going to implement to do it. So, I mean, I I personally am not a fan of the two mainstream parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, but I'm also not entirely sure that Sinn Féin are anything more than just an attempt to to be like them. I think if you let Sinn Féin in power, they do have some smart people. They have people like Pascal Donny, um not Pascal Donny, sorry, Pierce Daherty, who's their finance spokesman. He's a very smart guy, has said um, pretty good things on, we have um, big insurance problems here, like incredibly high prices. We're basically getting ripped off like crazy. Um, he's got plans to try and take that industry um, to task. And then you have Ono Brin, who is a very, very clever fellow who has some who's written a book on the housing crisis and how we might be able to fix it. So I would say, let them in give them a chance to try and implement these policies but at the end of the day they are to be treated as a normal party not necessarily as like a communist socialist takeover party like some are trying to betray them and definitely shouldn't be treated like terrorists either i mean try your we should try our best to try and treat them like a normal political party like any other and then give them a chance to come in but it doesn't look like that that's what's happening it looks like the other two parties are going to do a deal and try and come back in again
0: it's. I mean, it's fascinating because that sort of narrative is the same as we've seen in so many countries now. Of like the party that just says, "Hey, we like to do things differently." Communists, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that sort of accusation immediately comes out without actually looking at what the politics are. Um, but it's why? Why did people still vote for the other two main parties? Is it just that they were? Was Was it that they were put off Sinn Féin, or is it that they are people that are? kind of financially benefited by sort of Finnegal or Finnefile being in power, you know, is it, cause like in the UK obviously we've got the real age gap where the kind of baby boomers are very conservative because they all own houses and aren't too worried about any austerity measures is that a similar thing that's happened in Ireland?
1: Yeah, it's a combination of both, I mean the protected class in austerity is always the elderly so there hasn't been that many cuts to um pensions and those kind of things i mean the elderly are getting hurt by the by the terrible state that our health system is in but apart from that they've been relatively well protected by Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil because whatever no matter what country you and the, polit- the the main rule of politics is don't piss off old people because they vote so um, they, they would be inclined to stick with them. And then also, yes, for reasons like that we've talked about, they still see Sinn Féin as too close to the terrorism that was there before and don't feel comfortable voting for them. Whereas the younger generation that's further away, I mean, there's people that voted in this election that were born after the peace process started. So for them, it's not really an issue at all. And... Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's the people that are, that's still, like, I mean, you have to, you have to take into account that 42% of the, of the public still voted for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. So that's 42% of the public that are still happy enough with how things are that they don't want to see some radical change coming in. And then even if you add up, like, we have a lot of independent politicians who would be essentially what you would call, like, they'd be very comfortable in Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil if they were there, but for whatever reason, they, they are not and they stick for their local area and they would they would also be like center-right conservatives they wouldn't want any big radical change coming in or anything like that and it's between those parties between those independents and the two main parties that is likely to come in with the new government to try and stop Sinn Féin from coming in although it I mean you could say stop Sinn Féin but I mean after the after the election results like Fine Gael, the party that were in power basically stepped back with their hands up and said well we got a thrashing The people Clearly, don't want us to be in charge, so it's up to Fianna gale it's up to Fianna Fail and Sinn Féin now to try and form a government. But of course, Fianna Fail really don't want to go into power with Sinn Féin, um, I guess for reasons of policy, but also they just think that if they were to be, they they think that most of their base would just switch over to, to Sinn Féin and they would lose their their previous position of power. So you have all these kind of, as I said, like a Mexican standoff going on. Nobody, it almost seems like nobody really wants to go into government here, which is a shock because. The, the electorate don't seem to reward anyone for being in government. All that happens is you're in government after five years, you get thrashed, and then someone else has to try and come in to build a coalition to make up for it.
0: I mean, and if a government isn't formed, isn't there another election that then happens, which I'd have thought would just benefit Sinn Féin as they could put more candidates forward?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the idea, and that that's probably why we're seeing Fine Gael and Fina Fall starting to... To, to send each other love notes and to, to be seen going out on dates it's like the equivalent of that couple that would never get together but then they're they're photographed in whatever trendy uh trendy nightclub just about to go home together so it looks like that's what's happening to try and stop them um. It looks like we'll have Finnegale and Finafall in power, perhaps with a rotating T so they'll take turns with the top job. And then, even though, because if you if you add up their seats, they still don't have eighty plus, which is what you need. So they're going to potentially take in the Green Party, who also had their best ever election. They came in with twelve seats up from three, and a few independents. And then altogether, that could be enough to get like uh, to get enough to have a government that could last for five years. And this whole coronavirus thing is starting to speed things up as well. We could have had a whole summer of. No, no, no official government and no um, election just to see if people could like talk around each other and figure something out. Like we're not really in any rush to have a second election. And there's no actual there's no there's nothing in, in law that says we have to have another election by X. The law says that there's a caretaker government in place, which was basically the last government. They are still in charge until a new government is formed.
0: Yeah, because the, the, the um, Dahl, how do I, it's Dale Dale Dahl, 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 Dahl. pronounced, uh, I should get that right, I eat Dal. I should know how it makes that, right, um, so uh, the Dal the Dal met, didn't they, for their first meeting since the election, despite the complete lack of government the other week, so well, that sort of thing can still happen.
1: Yeah, well the Dahl had to meet at a certain date anyway, because um, the first thing that happens when the doll comes back after an election is to try and elect Taoiseach, Um they did. There was nobody elected Taoiseach, so that means Leo Varadkar, the sitting Taoiseach, had to go to the president and resign, but then immediately became a, becomes a caretaker Taoiseach, and he still is the caretaker Taoiseach, making decisions and, and meeting up with his cabinet of ministers that are still there. There's actually people that are ministers that lost their seats as TDs, which is a pretty tricky situation, but there basically is no other solution to that. It just means that this caretaker government can't make or... I say can't, they, but shouldn't make any big, major decisions because they're technically they don't really have any democratic mandate to do that. So there are some like, there's some unease and some questions going on at the moment with the coronavirus. If we do have to like do something like Italy did and bring some kind of like official quarantine in, on what basis does the government have a democratic legitimacy to do that? But then, I mean, we've seen lots of governments across the world stretch ideas of legitimacy with prorogation. And basically every time Trump wakes up and does anything, you can see that they stretch these norms and these ideas to see how far it could go. But I do think we are going to see talks to bring a proper government in to block Fianna Fáil and fin- to, to block Sinn Féin and have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael come together. And then it'll be up to Sinn Féin to to basically continue the momentum that they have to, to, to really be a, a, an effective opposition to get as many jabs in as they can and then come back potentially with enough, with enough seats on their own to come to to, bring, to, to form some other government. than with them um, other left wing parties that are being inclined to do it, because they, they don't have enough seats to do it now. The only way Sinn Féin could go into government now would be in coalition with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, and neither of them want to do that.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. And we'll be back with Steve in a minute, but first... I know you listeners are pretty knowledgeable about things, but look, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, there is a tiny country that you may not be aware of. It was discovered by accident, and is home to a culture of self judgment big noises and food that's largely made of things you'd find in cleaning products elsewhere on the globe. The people there are led by a confused orange accident of a man, and while the whole place professes to be just one country, it's sort of more like 50 dysfunctional ones all mashed together against their will or political preferences. Look, I know you're likely confused at that description, not sounding like anywhere in the known world that you've heard of, and yet this place exists, for it is America. Land of the free from universal healthcare, home of the brave where it was until they killed them all and made them live in reservations. I am, of course, ribbing you, as America is one of the world's superpowers, with much of what happens there having rippling effects to everywhere else, whether that be debt, climate change policies, stock prices, or ten seasons of a sitcom about rich pals just pissing about and owning a monkey. In the 2016 election, the American people chose, well, actually, the Electoral College chose, to elect a known liar, misogynist, bankruptcy champion, climate change denier, conman, racist, populist and just all-round fucking bizarre-looking man, Donald Trump, to become president of that nation and America and the world have never really recovered since. In the last four years Trump has dismantled so many government departments, helped the rise of the far right, made the healthcare system even worse, withdrew from the Paris Climate Agreement, started trade wars, led to women's rights being jerked backwards, had a state official from another country killed without warning, been impeached and invited Nigel Farage to things but none of them were traps. And these past few weeks generally just let all of America get infected with coronavirus by pretending it isn't happening. That is, to say it lightly, just a tiny amount of examples from a presidency that has excelled in a daily cavalcade of happenings that in a civil society just one would be enough to say, well, that's it, we as a species are doomed. But now it's become so commonplace to wake up and find that the president has sent a tweet at 4am that may well lead to World War III again, that we are only collectively shocked as a species on days where nothing happens, as that's just suspicious. But whatever we might like to think about Russian conspiracies or how he didn't actually win the popular votes, the entire US election system is totally fine. The fact is, in 2016, Trump won due to discontent with the status quo, growing inequality, a refugee crisis and the world starting to go on fire. A similar discontent that in the UK brought us to Brexit, in India, Italy and Brazil and others a populist government, and probably somehow also led to the masked singer, because I'm not sure what else could have caused that show other than collective disappointment, misdirected towards something that ultimately won't fix things and will definitely just make them worse. On Tuesday, November 3rd of this year, America will vote for who will be in 435 seats in the House of Representatives, 35 of the seats in the Senate, and, of course, for the President. Trump, unsurprisingly, only has a 42% approval rating in most of the recent polls, which is actually up there with some of the higher numbers he's had since elected. All current polls say that any of the potential Democratic candidates would beat him in an election, and the midterm elections in 2018 gave the Democrats a seat gain in the House of Representatives. So... All of this points to the US handing back the UK the title of most idiotically self-destructive country in the West, or if that title is too cruel, the award for most poorly thought through misdirected anger, or most stupid-haired bloated twat leader. In theory, it should be easy to remove that giant Veruca from the White House, as I can attest from a career in stand-up. Walking on stage after someone's bombed and barely being capable of putting a coherent sentence together is usually the easiest gig of all time. But in 2016, woman who's got the sort of smile that says one mistake and you'll end up in my freezer, Hillary Clinton, was also predicted to beat Trump in all the polls. Only five incumbent US presidents out of 20 have lost their bid for re-election since 1900, so all in all, the odds are in Trump's favour although in his case, it's the really, really odds. What happens in November will largely depend on who the Democrats pick as their presidential candidate. Not only in how much they can convince the public that they'll be different to Trump and in the very least reverse some of the damage he's done, but also that they'll stand up for the many varied communities across the 50 states. And depressingly, whichever can defy whatever terrible childish mocking Trump will no doubt make about them in a completely misspelled crack of dawn tweets type way that will somehow then dominate the news for weeks because grown-ups appear to have died out of the media industry. There are now two potential Democratic presidential candidates left, or three if you count Tulsi Gabbard, a walking political porn star's erection, in that she's only managed to come third through sheer staying power. Gabbard has only two of the delegates needed out of the 1,991 that she has to get to win the race, so her only game must be just to hang around until everyone else dies. With her being the youngest candidate of 38, and the other two well into their 70s with various health conditions, November is a long way away, so maybe she's nailed this. Realistically though, it's now down to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders because nothing says bringing the change America needs quite like two old white straight men. In the blue corner is Joe Biden and Biden is Barack Obama's former vice president. You remember Obama? The president people liked so much that he won a Nobel Peace Prize for drone bombing children in the Middle East. That means Biden was VP when the Affordable Health Care Act came in, a.k.a. Obamacare. Despite historically opposing gay marriage, his public comments that he and Obama were comfortable with it also led to it being legalised. He also supported the Paris Climate Change Agreement. And Biden has, throughout his nearly 50 years in politics, supported some very progressive, well at least for America, ideals. And his current campaign has him backing universal background checks for guns and higher taxes on the wealthy. You know, all the things that anyone other than an idiot might actually back. But some of Biden's other views are much less progressive, including a lot of restrictions on immigrants, and he's previously voted for additional walls and fences between the US and Mexico. While he believes abortion should be legal, he thinks it's wrong in all cases. He's opposed Medicare for All, which would give universal free healthcare for all Americans and potentially make the biggest difference to citizens' lives ever, and his climate change policies seem to have been cut and pasted from other places without credit, which I suppose you could say is pro-recycling. But it's also a bit dodgy, as he's been attending fundraisers held by gas production companies at the same time. Biden has a long history of touching women inappropriately, with many accusations made against him from women that he's worked with. And there are concerns that he's also suffering from cognitive decline after regular public bungles, including one where he stated that he loved kids jumping on his lap, which is either a mess-up, really creepy, or a massive lie, because no-one, aside from creeps, likes kids jumping on their laps. So say I, a dad of a toddler that likes to randomly leap on you without warning. I mean, it's horrible. Every time it just makes you make this noise. Like you've been winded. It's grim. Now, you're probably thinking, an often incoherent gropey white man but one who might actually bring in gun controls, surely this is like a Trump upgrade and so who better to take him on? And That's unfair to Biden as he's not really at all like Trump, but while what's on his side is the fact that he's well known and has experience in the government, he's also from the same political part of the Democrats that were rejected in 2016, which could work against him. Also in the blue corner is Bernie Sanders, sort of. He's actually an independent candidate, but he's running as the Democratic candidate because I'm not sure there's any other way to do it in the US as anyone existing outside of the two parties is just confusing for everyone. Bernie is a senator and former mayor who ran to be the Democratic presidential candidate in 2016 but lost out to Hillary Clinton because back then people had vague notions that America wasn't sexist anymore. Bernie is all for Medicare for All, but also for the Green New Deal, which is a plan to get the US to 100% renewable or clean energy by 2030. He wants to ban assault weapons entirely, change how campaign funding works, how the criminal justice system works and target offshore tax funds. And the main criticisms of Sanders are that these policies are all far too radical for the US, whose political system would sooner die than have universal healthcare, with the former often happening because of the latter. There is also concern that his online support, aka Bernie Bros, can be pretty intense and abusive to people who criticise him online. Sanders has, of course, disowned internet trolls who support him but are nasty to other people, but his rivals say that it's the toxic tone of his campaign that's caused it, because we all know that it's better to take on the system by politely and quietly asking it to stop, or you'll tell it's dad. There's also concern that Sanders is unelectable, despite that being a very difficult factor to prove, until he's failed to be elected for the presidency. Bernie did have a heart attack last October, so whether he's healthy enough for the job is also an absolutely major factor. But still, it's also nice to have proof that a leading politician has a heart, even if it's not up to scratch. That's a very brief look at both candidates, but it's also worth noting that Biden has 10 times as many billionaires backing his campaign than either of the other um, two candidates. In comparison, Bernie Sanders' campaign has raised all of its money just from individual grassroots donors, which is pretty unheard of in US politics and quite remarkable. He also has the most donations from US veterans. So they're two very different candidates, and which one wins will depend on if Democrats want the security of what has been before, even if that did, in many ways, end up with Trump. Or what possibly could be if America wasn't so certain that more socialist policies would make them end up like completely non-socialist authoritarian Russia. And that's ignoring that the current president is probably closer to that than anything else they might get. It's also worth noting that half of Biden's supporters would support a Sanders presidency, and the same for Sanders supporters with Biden. And Tulsi Gabbard's three supporters haven't actually said what it is they'd like, but it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, whichever way it goes, it at least might not continue to go Trumpwards. But there are months and months to go, because there's nothing like dragging out primaries until everyone's so exhausted they don't really care who wins. Only a third of Democratic delegates have been declared so far, with Biden on 664 and Sanders on 573, with, as I mentioned before, 1,991 needed to win. So unless when the Democratic candidates drops out, then a decision on who the candidate is won't actually be made until July at the Democratic National Convention and either Sanders or Biden will be taking on Trump in November assuming they haven't both died of whatever ailment they have by then until C. Gabbard hasn't by default stormed into the lead before standing down in order to take part in the Olympics, winning all the golds because all the other athletes have dropped out due to coronavirus. More on the US elections over the year because it goes on for nearly all of it. I'm aware that what I've just done is far too brief, but it's just a little starter. Um, I'll definitely get several guests on to talk about it too with far more insight than I have. Um, So if you have any suggestions for who those should be, please send them my way. And now back to Steve. But would a uh, Finnafar Finnegal government cause? I mean, w- would there be issues? There might, like people would get angry, right? Because I, I saw there were protests in Dublin. Uh, was yeah. it this weekend? I don't know how big yeah. they were, but you know, I'm guessing stop people. Stop the would stitch kick up off. is what it was called, right? Yeah. People would be
1: angry because it basically looks like the two mainstream parties that have always been in power are just coming together to stop what is supposed to be the will of the people coming together. Um, yeah that that will happen but at the same time Sinn fein didn't get enough seats to form a, a government without either of those two parties and there isn't necessar- there isn't any like you can't force a party to go into coalition with someone that they don't want to so if that if this is how the numbers add up then this is what it's going to be i mean it's not that it's 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 not a at a at a, a, like a, a treasonous tragedy as some people would claim that you have the two parties coming in because they're still making up a government based on seats that people elected them to so I mean, I would try and tone down the hyperbole a bit like that, but you know that's because I'm I'm not a Sinn Fein TD. So, but they they would definitely will they will shout from the rooftop. They will say this is ridiculous. This is against what the people voted for. They voted for change, and all we're getting is more of the same. And it's going to be very difficult for any Fine Gael or uh Fall government to try and call themselves a change government. They're basically I mean, they would have to change what they've done for the last 70 years to be very radical. It'd be very, it'd be very strange. I don't really see them doing anything like that. So, though, who knows? I mean, once they get, once they come in as a government, obviously the, they have to govern, but they also have to be aware that there's going to be an election sometime. Um, I mean, we're the same system as you guys. We can either have an election with uh, within five years or it could happen sooner if the government falls or the Taoiseach decides to call an election. Um, we don't have fixed term parliaments here, actually, so it's a bit easier. But they w- they would have to try and come up with policies that would tap into that change and try and address some of those some of those calls for change that were there. But even if they did do that, they probably won't go very well, and then they're going to get hammered. And Sinn Fein are probably going to do a lot better in the next election. But whether or not they'll be able to come back with enough to bring in another government that doesn't involve either Finucane or Finnegal, I mean. I got in trouble for making that prediction before. So I'm not going <laughs> to make it. I'm not going to make a definite one. But it just it it would be very surprising if Sinn Féin came back with enough um, with with after another election with enough um, seats or enough coalition partners to build an election that doesn't involve those two. What's likely going to happen is that Sinn Féin will come back as the biggest party, and then one of the other two are going to have to prop them up in some way.
0: Right. It's, I mean, it's. I again, I know, I know. British political system is different but, but you know the conservatives have basically come back by going hey we're not like the other conservatives that you had for 10 years yeah. <laughs> we're the change that you need and even though we're yeah. gonna do exactly the same and everyone went oh and amazing and voted them all in which is is ludicrous um I was you know Ireland's really been changing in the last well 10 years I suppose but it, it politically with the referendums for sort of uh equal marriage referendums for legalizing abortion you've now had this big election which is the first time ever the two parties that have always been in power were but you know on top what's yep. what's changing why why is ireland suddenly uh changing in its kind of political direction and its kind of uh i suppose pro- progressiveness
1: yeah i guess it's, well the progressive issue is definitely that's been that's been changing over the last 30 years i mean the the catholic church had an had an awful hold over this country after its formation for whatever reasons i mean that's a whole 7 hour podcast series as to why that happened but um, yeah that that kind of slipped away for like the general progressive reasons i guess ireland was a very poor country and whenever we started having our our development and like the the celtic tiger and all the different bits that helped make us one of the one of the richest countries in the world i mean generally just with that kind of affluence and being where we are in the world in western europe makes it easier to be a progressive country and people see the, see the world go travelling and and consume the same media as everybody else so just slowly but surely through that i mean culture has changed the idea of of not having these normal things like equal marriage and access to abortion would just just seem just seemed ridiculous to people so eventually enough political power came together to overturn those in terms of the the Sinn Féin result and like the kind of the the left-wing politics thing that we haven't really had before because it's always been Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil who are centre-right to right-wing powers in charge. So this is the first time where we've had what you could call a left-wing party coming in as the largest. I guess that's kind of like a slow-motion result since the economic crash. So Fine Gael tried to call themselves the the Democratic Revolution in 2011 when they came back as the largest party after the crash because I guess people were... um, People wanted to see change, but Sinn Féin weren't big enough at the time and Labour didn't get enough votes to come in as a larger party. So they were like, OK, well, let's just try and give this other crowd, this other Fine Gael crowd a chance. But then, of course, things didn't change like we've already gone over and um, the economy got better for some, but not for others. So I guess it's the same kind of slow motion change of politics and populist politics that has been kind of rising across. All the Western world after the recession and politics is changing in the same, I guess, kind of way, but also in a different way, which is our typical Irish way. We always we always try to complicate things. It's never easy.
0: Well, yeah, but there was a nice thing in uh, sort of reading really about how voters had kind of shunned the anti-immigration um, stance. of certain Yeah, parties. that is the one
1: big difference. Yeah we don't have any party that's openly anti-immigration. I mean, Sinn Féin have had some tricky bits about trying to be like an anti-EU party in some ways, but also explicitly saying, no, no, we're pro-EU. So it's like they, they usually go against the EU referendums, but that's almost just like, that's to get attention as much as anything it is rather than actually not believing in the EU. And yeah, there were some blatant um, racist parties. Like we had the Irish Freedom Party, the Irish National Party, who had like posters saying... Uh, less immigrants support the troops basically just copying bullshit slogans from the United States that don't make any sense in Ireland I mean we've got one of the smallest smallest armies in the world and there's no point in saying support the troops but anyway um they didn't do well at all and there was even like a, an attempt at setting up a a more like shinier legitimate version that was like an anti-abortion party called Aintu which was actually set up by a Sinn Féin TD who quit over the abortion issue because he wasn't happy that his his party was supporting it. They didn't do well. They only elected him back and, and they, I think they got like just about 2% overall. So yeah, it was it was great to see that we basically put, gave all the racist parties the middle finger and were just happy. I mean, there are some commentators that would point out that maybe Sinn Fein have taken a lot of this kind of ethno nationalism and and turned it in i mean the Sinn Fein are definitely what you would call a nationalist party they're very pro ireland in the sense and they always, they use the irish tricolor as their flag whenever they were celebrate at the count centers like they're waving they're waving the the national flag to say that oh yes we're doing well therefore the nation is doing well and some people would point out that like i as i said that councillor that was there before there are there are racists in the party, but I mean, that's not to say, I mean, there's racists in every party because there's racists in society. But in terms of, yeah, we don't have any out and out racist TDs in the Dáil, which is pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't wish to stereotype, but I, part of me wonders if that is because Irish people are brilliant at emigrating and traveling and always have done. And there must be a sort of, I don't know, sympathy or empathy t- t- towards other people coming to, to Ireland as well.
1: Yeah, I guess that must be part of it. I mean, like you said, yeah, I guess there's there's more people that live outside Ireland who are from Ireland and actually live on the islands. And then we, the second generation is huge. There's about 40 million people that are entitled to Irish citizenship based on where their parents or grandparents are from. So we are definitely spread across the world and we've had incoming immigration in Ireland for quite a long time for about 20 years now we've had first the uh, the waves of eastern european immigrants but then people from all over the world like dublin has a huge brazilian population there's lots of people from africa there's people from asia there's people from everywhere there's a fecton of americans coming in to work for the um for the internet companies so it's like if you walk down the streets of dublin it's as multicultural as any major uh, western city but yeah i mean there are there are some rumblings like we have um we have a pretty crappy institution here called Direct Provision. It's what we do to try and deal with people that come to the country as as asylum seekers. They're essentially put into what are camps and not treated very well and given very little money. And it can take years and years and years to get through that system, which is just awful. It's, it's, It's a very inhumane process. And the camps that people are living in, they want to build them outside dublin spread them across the the country to try and take the pressure off a couple of areas where they used to be and there's been a lot of local protests against the idea of these coming in but then again it's it's also it's a combination of the the locals not wanting to see their town change very quickly but if you think about it i mean in one town that had about 400 people they wanted to build a center that would house 200 people so all of a sudden this town would double in size and they're already struggling with their own provision of services so it's not necessarily just racism that's coming in it's also just bad government policy at the same time
0: yeah that's quite a massive change if you're suddenly getting a whole extra third of your population yeah, very quickly exactly yeah, absolutely um and a couple more questions I want to ask. Well, one is, is simply that do you think a, a United Ireland is on the cards with kind of preference towards Sinn Féin? You said they didn't campaign on that uh, at all. Um, but, quietly, you know, quietly. Quietly, campaign. right. Sure. And and but also it's obviously been um, something that, that's been kind of mentioned again in Northern Ireland quite a bit because of Brexit and the border and all that nonsense. Yes. Is it do you think it's something that people are interested in or do you think it's not? Not anything for the foreseeable future.
1: There are people that are interested in it. I mean, I would say the people that voted for Sinn Féin would obviously not be unaware that it's a possibility by casting their vote for a party that it's it's essentially what its main what its main purpose is is to is to try and unify Ireland to get the the border um, get the border broken and have some sort of an all Ireland republic. But I don't think that's what people were voting for this time. Um, I. I mean, there is, there has been an awful lot of talks, especially since Brexit, about the idea that this is a question we're going to have to start being better at, at looking at answers to. Um, but I don't think the people in, in the Republic of Ireland are are that aware that it is a looming issue and we don't really have that many things in place. And if you ask some people, it's not like, I mean, I don't know what the assumption is in the UK. If you just assume you ask five people on the street, that five people will go, woo, up, up the IRA. Yeah. We love, we want to United Ireland affect the queen. Yeah. I don't know that that would necessarily be true. You have maybe one or two of the five would do that, but most of them would be like, hmm, well, how are we going to pay for that? And like, what are we going to do about the, the, the the unionists in Northern Ireland who will not be happy at all with the idea of coming over, so I think we need to start having more discussions about it. We need to we need to start addressing it properly. You can't just dismiss it as being as being Sinn Fein silliness now. You have to actually like look at it and think about how we're going to do it. I mean. It's I, I, It could happen the same way it happened in Germany. You could suddenly have a massive political thing happening like the collapse of the Soviet Union meant that all of a sudden the wall was gone in Berlin and they had to unify the country within minutes. So something like that could happen. You could have the UK going, well, we've we've done a Brexit deal that basically involves building a wall in the middle of the Irish Sea to stop Northern Ireland from being part of us now. You go sort it so we should have more plans in place we should be looking at it more but it's going to have there's going to have to be votes on that there's going to have to be referendums in northern ireland referendums in the south of ireland and at the moment not that it doesn't look like it would be that simple an idea to get 50% of of ireland voting for united ireland there's going to have to be a lot of talk about how it's going to be paid for what what difference it'll mean for our services i mean we don't have the equivalent of the nhs down here so are, is there going to be an NHS in Northern Ireland, like an, an I-NHS, or are we going to get one for the whole of Ireland, or are we going to have to tell the people in Northern Ireland that they don't have access to the same services that they had before? I mean, these are all the kind of things that we're going to have to look into.
0: Yeah, 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 that's hugely complicated. I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting. So in the UK, I think, again, it's just being used as a fear tactic by the kind of tabloids of going, <laughs> you know, Brexit could, you know, if we don't control Brexit properly, it will go to United Ireland. I, I don't know why. I, I think most people aren't that but do, bothered do, about it yeah. <laughs> yeah. do they care would no. <laughs> people in Manchester
1: give a crap if all of a sudden the city of Derry was in the Republic of Ireland like they'd be like wasn't it already
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think depressingly uh, most people are ignorant as to which bits are where and uh, art are, don't care that much uh, as much like most things which is oh, bleak I suppose um and I'm and, and very selfish here, I did want to ask because we brought up Brexit. Um, that Vradka sort of campaigned uh, for Finnegal, you know, that, that he was kind of brilliant on Brexit, was very strong on it. And, uh, and it seemed like no one in Ireland cared. Does, does no, no one Literally does no nobody gave a crap.
1: <laughs> nobody, I mean, nobody wanted – he he worked his ass off. His government worked their asses off. They they, they they campaigned. They gave speeches. They went over to the EU. They made sure the EU were always on our side. They Like in fairness to them, they did a great job making sure the UK didn't screw us over. But then nobody cared when it came to the exit poll, and like people were asked what was at the at the top of your mind when you when you voted in this election. Most people said housing and health, and I think one percent said brexit. nobody cared so I mean at the start of the campaign, Fine Gael realized that nobody gave a crap about Brexit. We just assumed that it's fixed now, so we want to talk about other issues and they did drop it, and they tried to talk about other things, but yeah it's it it seemed that nobody nobody wanted to reward or really think about what's going to come next.
0: Wow, so it's just it's just a non-issue in Ireland now. Uh, it's not that it'll become an
1: issue again when it becomes an issue again, if you know what I mean. So, if if like Boris Johnson has said that he wants to get Brexit solved um, before tea times without looking at all the complex issues that need to get done, so I mean, if it comes to it that we're going to have like like if this transition period ends without a deal, I mean, we're still talking about the idea of a no deal, even though we're, though we're supposed to have a deal, um, then our, then it's going to become a, a suddenly a very important issue and but you you can tell that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are aware that that they want to have what they would think is their steady hand guiding the ship during the next stage of Brexit but they're not saying that that's a reason that they should be in power now in these in these negotiations like they're not saying well can you imagine how bad it would be if Sinn Fein were in charge during Brexit there but that's what they're thinking they just know that there's no point in saying it because the Irish public don't give a crap
0: they've forgotten Cool. Well, it's nice to know that someone else doesn't care. I mean, I think we deserve <laughs> – I, th- I, I honestly think we deserve – I think uh, Frankie Boyle has a lovely line about how, um, you know, it would be great for Ireland to watch a British famine. Um, and <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not like Frankie Boyle to say something controversial. Well, I know, I know. Um, so thanks tons for that. And, and I, I again, apologies for still not knowing how to pronounce Dahl. I should know that by now. Um, Dahl. It's, 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 it's like, the I. It's the I, and it's the little thing over the A that every time – Father.
1: That's called the father makes it from a a to from an a like a hard a to like a soft a to a long a, right? If that's the way to think it, that's why it's fina fall and doll instead of fina fail and dale.
0: Right, that's really helpful. Thank you, um, well, <laughs> and my, I don't even speak <laughs> Irish. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to ask you, State, apart from, I mean that was fantastic thank you so much for that um, who should listeners check out for good Irish politics coverage and obviously there is your podcast which they should go and check out uh, What I'm politics um, yeah. where else who, who do you go to
1: um, well I'm just looking on my Twitter account here and there's quite a few I mean um, if you want like a, a fully professional journalist who's very good at covering things you have a guy called Gavin Riley um, at Gav Riley on Twitter um, he's very very good always keeps on top apparently he has a young child and, but for some reason is still able to work 22 hours a day so oh I, mean, I don't know how I don't know how you do it as well, but between the two of you, you've got a good thing going. I but. don't work twenty two <laughs> hours a day. I mean, that's definitely
0: part of it. <laughs> um,
1: we also have a guy called Johnny Fallon. Um, he I'm not really sure what his what his main business is, but he spends a lot of time talking about politics, and he's also set up a really good um, podcast called the Johnny Fallon Podcast, which is starting to look into to some of the history in Irish politics as well. Um, if you want some idea on like the left wing ideas in politics, there's Una Malali. She's a columnist for the Irish Times. She's very good as well um she would be good to try and get a feel for like what i would guess i mean i don't want mean the pejoratively but like the woke irish politics is about like the the movements that push forward equal marriage and the abortion referendum she would be one of the best people speaking for them and then i mean if you're you're pretty solid to follow any irish times or uh, irish independent or rte and um, political journalists they're they're usually all pretty good um although of course shin fein would probably say no because we they try to pull the whole mainstream media thing is against us so it depends on who you want to follow i actually i I don't know who to tell you to follow if you want some shin fein news i guess just um because twitter has always been a place where they have been very active and if you say anything bad against shin fein you'll suddenly find loads of um, twitter accounts attacking you um so yeah i don't really know what to say
0: about them (laughs) So you could you could say something bad about them, uh, and when they attack you, you can find out who it is that you should follow in order to get the news.
1: <laughs> well, you see, it's not even it's not even the big people that then attack you. It's like all the the guys with like four or five followers that come on and jump in and call you call you a party call you a
0: national traitor and all those kind of bits. Ah, uh, right. yeah. So not a great plan. Not a great plan. Maybe avoid it. Big thanks to Steve for taking the time to educate me on Irish politics as well as the correct pronunciations of many things I am so rubbish at remembering how to say properly. Um, you can find Steve on Twitter at the Steve Byrne B-Y-R-N-E and his podcast What and Politics is currently on a short hiatus but do subscribe as it will be back soon and it's always an excellent listen for Irish political goings-ons. Uh, Steve is also currently co-hosting a podcast about US politics called The State of 2020 so do check that out too. And of course all links to all them things will be in the pod blurb for this episode. And um, after being all super organised and having tonnes of interviews pre-recorded I'm now the complete opposite and barely have any guests lined up for the next few weeks so help me please help me please please help or face the horror of just my stupid voice and poorly researched opinions for a whole hour every single week I mean who wants that no one no one wants that save me and your ears by sending me suggestions for who to talk to and what subjects to interview people about to the at Parpolbro Twitter page the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or write it on a piece of loo roll and as 4,000 panicked desperate people charge at you for their bum-wiping needs, tearing it from your hands, I will never know what your suggestion was, but I'll feel pleased that at least someone got some sort of relief from it. As always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Uh, you've made it to the end of the podcast, meaning that you are one of the exclusive team limit... or, uh, Per-a-ration crew. Peroration? crew. crew. I will find a catchy name for you at some point. Again, send in suggestions, please. Um, but of course, what it mainly means is that you get an exclusive political hot goss fact that those chumps who turn the podcast off immediately after it starts will never, ever know. I mean, unless you tell them. Don't tell them. Don't be like that, don't you? Don't do that. This week, did you know that former leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Ruth Davidson, yeah. Well, her dad is called Douglas, not David, so her surname is completely wrong. She should be called Ruth Douglas' daughter. Total mess. Someone really, really fucked that up. Yeah, that was worth it, right? Right, crew? Right? And if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell other people you know to give it a listen and maybe skip this end bit, donate to the code or Patreon and give it a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you do your podding from. Cheers, big ears, to a my brother, the last sceptic, Cat Day and Mushy Bees for all podcast-related helpings. And this will be back next week when Boris Johnson insists the best way to fight the coronavirus is literally with swords, which ultimately puts even more pressure on the NHS, and the budget is delayed as Johnson has to spend two weeks shaking hands with patients who've still got them despite the severe slash wounds. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by new voice-controlled assistant, Rishi. Ask Rishi anything you like and he'll always respond with, I'm sorry, I can't reveal that. With Rishi, you won't be able to order things which will ultimately save you money and that's what's most important. Want to find a fact? Rishi says no. All new Rishi and all new Rishi Echo, which just repeats everything Johnson or Cummings says first.